welcome to the Lift and Glow Fitness Podcast. I'm Hayley and I help women ditch fat diets, build their strength and fitness and improve their habits so that they can look and feel their best. And we do this all without having to give up the food or the life that they love. If you enjoy this episode, please feel free to rate, review and share it with anyone else who you think that it could help. And if you'd like me to help you reach your fat loss goals, then make sure to get in touch so that we can see if we're a good fit to work together. I hope you enjoy this episode. Bye. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Lift and Glow Fitness Podcast. So today I have got another guest with us and we've got the lovely Sophie May. Um, She is Sophie May Fitness on Instagram, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, Sophie is an online coach and she specializes in helping in women's health. So we'll um, find out more about Sophie now. So uh, just let me know, can you tell us a little bit about you and how you came to work in the fitness industry? Yeah, so thanks for having me, first of all. Um, I got into the fitness industry in 2017, well, as a coach in 2017. Um, and I kind of I started off as a personal trainer in the gyms. My main kind of reason for getting into that was, I think, like a lot of other people, kind of going through like your own journey with fitness. And I went through like a, a, a solid stage of, you know, disordered eating and overtraining and things like that that I think a lot of a lot of coaches kind of have like a background with some sort of their own experience that leads them to getting into coaching um so I did my PT course got into coaching well personal training I should say worked in gyms for a few years and then got into online coaching around when COVID hit um and as I got into online coaching I I think because I was away from the gym environment, it kind of allowed me to be a little bit more, I guess, branch out a little bit more. Whereas when you're in the gym, I think you're quite confined to purely fitness um, for some people, not everyone. Uh, whereas when I left that gym, I was kind of able to be like, okay, cool. Um, now I can sort of take a different approach. And that's when I sort of went down into women's health specifically uh, and started studying more in, you know, female hormones, physiology, and looking at that combined with fitness instead of just kind of like just fat loss and just fitness, it was like, okay, cool. We'll still do that, but also let's look at health and things that a lot of other people maybe aren't talking about. Um, so that's like a very brief explanation of my journey with the fitness industry. Um, and what kind of led me getting into women's health was because I lost my period for two years when I was younger as well. Um, And when I was going through the, I guess, the journey to get it back, went to the GP, got the classic take the pill, didn't do that because I didn't want to, got it back myself and then realized sort of how much misunderstanding there is around the period and menstrual cycle and two, how many women just don't know anything about their bodies. So that's kind of what I think that's always been the driving factor behind why I got into women's health specifically. Cool. Yeah, I completely agree. There's just not enough understanding. There's not enough knowledge. Um, obviously, there's women who I'm working with who are getting into their 30s and don't even really properly understand the cycle. And uh, I'm with you. I feel like everybody should have, you know, an understanding of it and we should learn it, you know, from being children. Um, I can't believe how long I actually didn't know and was confused about what was actually going on. Didn't know what ovulation was. Didn't know that you couldn't get pregnant at any point in your cycle. Like, had no idea that it was such a strong indicator of your health. It just mm-hmm. didn't pay attention to it. 
which you don't when you're younger, but I think we need to be definitely taught that we should. Um, yeah. But I think you you speak about a lot that it's a bit of a taboo. It's not as taboo as what it used to be, but people yeah. don't like talking about it or don't like hearing about it. And I think like you're one of the coaches who have made that very um, visible and like, you know, you talk about it so freely that, that it, you know, it's helping people. What would you say is like the biggest turning point? Obviously, you said you lost your menstrual cycle. Um, was that the the main turning point for you, or what was the biggest turning point that made you the coach that you are today? Do you feel if there was one? It's really hard to kind of like. I always think like sometimes I just can't remember times from that long ago. Like it's really weird. I feel like there's a lot of blank spots, but. I mean, I, when I, I lost my period when I was 16, so that was before I even was a personal trainer. Um, so I wouldn't say, I think that played a big role in the back of my mind of, of always wanting to just go further with health. And I think when I, like I said, when I worked in a gym, you're kind of tied to fitness specifically, right? Like the whole point of being a personal trainer is, is training people one-to-one in the gym. So it doesn't really leave you much, time or ability to sort of branch out into other areas I guess so I think when I became a online coach or when I progressed into that I started I think for me it was about my own journey with health so I had really bad skin for about 10 years like acne was on pretty much every medication you can name um, tried every single solution and I think for me when I sort of was like oh I found like a holistic sort of side to health and an alternative to the GP. That doesn't mean I'm saying that people shouldn't go to the GP. It's more so just understanding that there's quite a big difference between the conventional medical system and an alternative health approach. Um, And I think I kind of discovered that alternative health approach. And I was like, actually, this could be the solution. And I think as I started delving into that, I obviously was still a coach, but that kind of made me realize how much there is behind health. And I think that was the turning point for me to look past, doesn't matter what you eat, as long as you hit your calories, if it fits your macros, because that was me at one stage. And I think when I delve into the holistic health route, started learning about the gut, the hormones, how your diet affects so much in your body. And it's not just about calories, but the food that you're consuming and health overall I think that was really the turning point where I was like into the holistic aspect and kind of was like well this is completely different to what a lot of people are kind of pushing in the fitness industry um and it's not a one-size-fits-all like saying that you can eat whatever you want there's no bad foods like that's great for some people who have mindset issues around food but for people that need to remove certain foods out of their diet for their health like that's not going to help them so I think that was the biggest turning point for me um from memory yeah I I totally agree with all of that as well because when I started as a a PT first and then um I was kind of forced online during lockdown as well and it was it's just learning that it, it isn't actually just about weight loss. Like people are coming to us because they want to feel better. So if we just say it's just about calories and we simplify it to calories and protein, then we're not, we're not actually touching on all of the things that are making them feel shit. Like, you know, if they're, if, if they're eating just like processed stuff and they're not getting like the fruit and veg in and they're not thinking about things like stress and sleep as well, then we're actually not helping them improve their health we're just helping them lose weight which doesn't equal 
health. Mm-hmm. Like we know that, uh, you know, it's not automatically that you're healthier if you lose weight. Um, so I think that, yeah, it's a, it's a gap. Like when you start to become a PT, you don't, it's, you're not really even, you don't learn enough anyway. You've got to do most of your learning yourself, but it is PTs are just initially about weight loss coaching. It's just about weight loss. And then you start to learn, actually people, people need more help. We need more to, to live a full, happy, you know, good life. Yeah. Um, so obviously you are really, really good at sharing information about the menstrual cycle. I know that you coach your clients um, with the menstrual cycle in mind, and that's something that I do as well. So why do you feel it is important like as women for us to be able to understand our menstrual cycle? Why is it so important to us? I think because the menstrual cycle is important for obviously fertility and things like that. Like that's obviously most people know that. And I think people, or like, I think women in general, are, especially when they're younger, they don't have as much appreciation for their bodies and the menstrual cycle because they have this belief that it's only beneficial for pregnancy, which of course it is. We can't, we can't fall pregnant without it. But even if you don't want a pregnancy, there's so much with the cycle that impacts your emotional, psychological, physical, physiological, and it, it's it's who you are as well, as weird as that sounds, like your hormones are what makes you, you in a way, you know, like if we had a man, like I always, I always try and compare it to males and sort of look at it from a non-biased approach. And if we had a male with low testosterone, we would know because they would have low motivation, potentially depression, low sex drive, low general drive for life itself, probably poor um, recovery and muscle muscle mass or building muscle mass and struggling with that. You know, we would we would see that a lot in their characteristics and their them. Whereas I think when it comes to females, we don't look at it the same. Um, we know that men need testosterone for health, but I think people overlook the fact that we also need our hormones for health as well. And our two main sex hormones, which are estrogen and progesterone, they fluctuate at different points of the cycle. So they also impact you in different ways across that cycle as well. And I think, you know, a lot of people know that their hormones fluctuate, but they don't really know how or why or when it occurs. So they'll have these different symptoms. Like, for example, if if you're someone who goes to the gym, you may notice that you have some weeks where you've got maybe just less strength or less energy. If you're a business owner or you work in, well, anything really, but I guess if you work in general, you may find that there's some weeks where you're more creative and productive and driven and focused. And there's other times where you're just like, oh my God, I can't, like, I just, I can't be bothered or I can't concentrate today. The problem is that people don't know why that's happening. So they then get confused. They're like, what's wrong with me? I've got something wrong with me. I've got, I need to get this diagnosis, which, you know, nothing against doing that, but there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that you're not a robot. You're not meant to function the same 24 seven. And I don't think people are aware of that. So if we're not tracking the cycle and we're not aware of what's happening in our bodies, you're also not aware of the effects of those hormones and how they play a role in you as well. So for me, I think encouraging clients to be able to recognize the trends around how they feel at different points of the cycle helps them connect with themselves a lot more and actually understand them as themselves way more as well. So I guess that's probably my my main reason. But I guess in the long term, like if we think about 
let's say we've got a 22 year old who's learning about her cycle. She probably doesn't want kids at the moment. Maybe she does. I don't know. But even if she doesn't, she's kind of helping herself for the next 20, 30 years because she understands what's going on. And that's going to help her not just now, but in the future as well. But that might also help her teach her daughters or her nieces about their menstrual cycle or normalizing it for the next generation, which I think is pretty powerful as well. And I don't think enough people kind of recognize that too. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree. It should be normalized. We we should, and I think that we're on the way there. Um, but normalize it for the younger generation because pretty much all of my friends when we were younger were put on the pill, whether that was for skin, whether because they'd started having sex, or whether it yeah. was because of PMS or anything. They were put on the pill. It was like, right, yeah, yeah, you know, this this is just, and mm-hmm. no one was actually taught. Well, you know, your emotions are high, or um, your, you know, they, they actually when it comes to starting having sex, like I know when I have a daughter, I'm not going to say go on the pill. I'm going to say, this is how it works. Um, And I I really, really agree that it's just, it's probably messed with more women than what we realize. And because it's not spoke about, we just, we don't really know. Like we don't really have an understanding and people are struggling with things. And because it's not spoke about, they are kind of struggling in, in silence. Yeah, um, yeah. It's getting um, better but like, I think I don't, I don't personally, I don't think it helps when like, I still see a lot of coaches saying I'm due on, or are you due on, or they'll talk about the menstrual cycle and give information, but they won't even use the proper language. So mm-hmm. like, good on you for talking about it, but we're also, we're still making it taboo because you can't even say the word period, which for me just comes across as a bit like you're, you've got this hesitation to talk about it. You know, it's a normal thing. Like, uh, yeah. So I think we've, we've, we've come a long way. I think more people are talking about it now, but I, I think using the proper language and not kind of like using, you know, time of the month and things like that kind of makes it a lot less taboo as well. Yeah, definitely speaking openly about it. And I know that when I'm in the gym around my members, we have like open discussions about it, whereas it's something that years ago we maybe wouldn't have have spoken about. Um, so obviously the menstrual cycle, it can tell you all sorts about your health and it can tell you all sorts about your hormone health. I have had like a bit of a journey with my menstrual cycle as well. Like just trying to like sort out symptoms, make it regular, those sorts of things. So what would you say for people listening who, who have no idea, what would you say that, um, that is a sign? Like, what would you say the signs are that we need to start working on our hormone health? Yeah, good question. So I think the biggest signs are probably going to be if you don't have a regular period, that's probably the number one obvious sign that there's something going on. Okay. So anyone listening to this, if you're on hormonal birth control, you may not have a regular period. And that's actually, I guess, okay, because we can't really do anything about that because the birth control is what's causing that to happen. So When we're talking about something like this, we're talking about, you know, when you're naturally cycling, you're not under the influence of any synthetic birth control. Um, And if you aren't on birth control and your period isn't regular, it it should come roughly around the same time. So that could be within uh, like the range of 26 to 35 days. That's what we say is an average length cycle. If you have a cycle that's 40 days, 70 days, 30 days, you've you've missed it for six months there's something going on there it really should be and look 
31, 32, 30, like within that same time frame, that's fine. But if your cycle is so varied or it's just missing or it's completely irregular, you have no idea when it's coming, that would be a red flag. So that's normally one of the most obvious ones because it's fairly easy to know if you're having a regular cycle or not, especially if you at least just track when your last period was. We can see, oh, it's been three months. That's a red flag. Whereas I think some of the other things we can look into, because you may still have a regular cycle, but still have, you know, bad PMS symptoms and stuff, which is what I had myself. Like I I have had a regular cycle ever since I got got it back, but my PMS symptoms were really bad. So I would like, my, my period cramps would be super bad. I would almost be like hunched over. My fatigue was through the roof. Like I had to nap for like two hours, the days leading up to my period every single day without fail. And like, you just think like, I know that's not the worst symptom in the world, but you just think like, you shouldn't need to do that. Like when you've been sleeping for eight, nine hours a night, you shouldn't need to be sleeping for two, three hours in the afternoon and then being able to sleep again for eight, eight, nine hours at night again. So that was one of my biggest symptoms as well as really bad cravings, moods, um, the cramps, like I said, sometimes backache, headache. And I think if you're getting, if you're getting any symptoms that are more than just mild. So by mild, I mean, very minor period cramps. You don't really need to you shouldn't need to take painkillers at all, in my opinion. Um, it doesn't really affect your day-to-day too much. There's a difference between having a little bit of a dip in energy and feeling different around like a low hormonal point, which is where you are at around your period versus when your hormones are at their highest point. Like you you are going to feel different. So I don't want people to just think they're meant to feel the same even through the period. It's normal to have a little bit of a dip in energy, you might feel like you need to slow down a bit. You might feel like you need to preserve some energy because if you're kind of pushing too hard with giving, you may find you get more moody or frustrated easier or you've got like a sort of thinner, you know, thinner sort of string that anything will set you off. And that might not be because you're emotional. That might not be, that might just be, sorry, that you're not working around what you need at that time. So I would I would say like if you're getting PMS symptoms that are for a long period of time, more than just a couple of days, and then more than just like a mild fatigue, a dip in energy, maybe a little bit of like a fluctuation in mood, but nothing major, I would probably look into it like from there. That's probably like the base. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like we wanna we wanna make sure that our life isn't like really affected. Yeah when we're due on our periods like if you can't leave the house because you're in that much pain um then obviously that's a sign that something's not quite right because it's not supposed to be completely debilitating yeah um so yeah I I love that and obviously the reg the regularity like not everybody is 28 days even though when you look and it's like that's the average cycle not everybody is 28 days like a 26 day cycle might be normal 35 day cycle might be normal but there are obviously there are conditions aren't there which will affect the regularity of your cycle but those things can can be worked on and improved yeah so when it comes to improving our hormones and having healthy hormones what are kind of the basics when it comes to nutrition and lifestyle that people can be focusing on so if they've noticed they've got bad pms if they notice their cycle is a little bit irregular is there anything Mm -hmm. that they can do now with regards to their nutrition and their lifestyle that would um have an impact positively yeah, there's definitely a lot. Like what the biggest thing that that 
changed my mind was I used to think I ate well. Yeah. I used to, th- I used to think I ate pretty good. I-, I wasn't eating that good, you know? And I think one thing we really need to reflect on is can we be better in some places? Because I think this is where there's like a bit of a line and in the fitness industry, you'll see people talking about a Big Mac is the same calories as eggs and avo on sourdough. I hate those posts so much. <laughs> you can't, like, I just, it baffles me. Like, no, you can't, you can't, you can't sim- simplify food down to the numbers of energy it makes. Like, don't get me wrong. If someone wants to lose fat, of course, we need to be in a deficit. But that doesn't mean that we just neglect the kind of food that we're eating and focus just on the numbers. So I think although these people think that they're showing the ability to eat what you want within your calories and not have to do a diet. I think we've actually overstepped it where now people are too relaxed with what they actually choose to eat. So in my opinion, I just think, do you really want to eat something that has literally no nutrients, ultra processed vegetable oils? Why would you eat that instead of something that's actually going to give you benefit? And look, I understand like once a week, maybe don't get me wrong. I still eat out, but like if you're choosing McDonald's every, like a few times a week, because it fits your calories, like that would require some looking into. Um, and I think the basic, the most basic thing we can do is cook, cook our own meals as much as possible. And I know people will say time. I don't have time, blah, blah, blah. You don't need to cook anything extremely extravagant. And that's normally what people think. Oh, I don't have time to cook these fancy meals. Like, honestly, my meals are mostly like meat and some sort of carbohydrate sauce, like steak and potatoes. It might be like some other source of red meat with potatoes and salad or rice or whatever. Like it's super, super basic. So I think people have this mindset of like, oh, I don't have time to cook because they're thinking that they have to cook something different every single night. I'll cook one thing and have it the next three nights. Like, I think it's just kind of understanding that simplified is better. And we, in my opinion, one thing that helped me was coming back to the reason that we eat in the first place. Like, as I said, I still enjoy like going out for a meal and I'm not going to be one of those people that's like, oh my God, like, why would you go out for dinner and things like that? But I think it's also just going, the main reason that we eat is to give our bodies nutrients to survive and function optimally. If we're not doing that, you won't be doing, you know, you won't be getting all the nutrients that you need. So let's boil it down to the most basic thing we can do. Where are we going to get most nutrients from? Well, animal-based foods are going to be, in my opinion, one of the best. Fruit, veg, eating in season, good sources of carbohydrates like rice, sourdough, potatoes, you know, so it's like, let's go back to basics and then sprinkle in some of the fun on top instead of neglecting food quality because it just fits our calories. So diet, and I I can't say this enough, and I do this with my own clients. When I teach women's health courses, I will repeatedly say this same thing. I know it's probably basic, but diet is literally one of the biggest things. It's normally like you want to think, how well do I eat? Okay, well, if we eat three meals a day, three times seven, you know, that's like what, 21 main meals a week. If you're saying you eat well, that's saying that at least 90% of those meals are 
great. So if you're someone who actually gets your lunch out at work and then you pick up a ready meal from, you know, the shop for dinner a few times a week, and then you might go out for a meal a couple of times a week, that's probably not 90% well. So I think it's just going, can we improve that? And if so, then let's do it. Because for me, I was living in this sort of denial period and bear in mind I was a coach at the time because on Instagram as you said you know we were really into that if it fits your macros phase so I was like oh well it doesn't matter what I'm eating like I'm eating fairly well I'm eating calories I'm eating protein but a lot of my food was coming from bloody protein cookies protein bars like just I was having takeaway because I was like, oh, well, it fits my calories. So it doesn't really matter. Like I was kind of not taking it as seriously as it could be. So that's number one, because I do think it's majorly important. So just boiling it back to basics, sprinkled in with a little bit of like, you know, what we say, balance and things like that. And then the other thing as well, lifestyle wise, I think is just trying to do our best to like not be ignorant to things. So whenever I talk about endocrine disruptors, for example, which are things like toxins in the environment that can enter the body and act as hormone disruptors and they're everywhere right like we can't avoid them altogether but can we do something to just reduce the exposure like we're never going to be able to get rid of them but I think just viewing it more so as like what can we do to reduce the exposure so things like perfume deodorant like making sure that we're using organic tampons if we do use those um plastics avoiding heating food in plastics or drinking out of plastic bottles um using household products like can we like air fresheners and stuff like can we either not use those or opt for a like low tox one i don't know any specific brands over here um just things like that and whenever you talk about stuff like that people go oh it's fear mongering and it's like it like if you're if you're viewing it as that, you've got kind of two choices on how to view these things. You can either take the information and go, oh, wow, I'm glad I've learned that because now I can make the changes to do something about it. Or you can ignore the information, call it fear mongering and pretend it doesn't exist. But the problem with that is that it does exist. So you can either do something about it or you can just be ignorant to it and not worry about it. So for me, I do think that is an important thing to keep in mind. Like I'm not saying you need to go around your house and get rid of everything. I'm just saying, is there things that we could do? Can we swap to a natural deodorant? There's quite a lot of brands on the market nowadays. Can we avoid plastic bottles and start drinking out of glass? Can we not heat food in plastic? Can we maybe get rid of like all the scented stuff around the house and just try and like minimize that? Like that's the basic things I'm kind of talking about. Um, So yeah, I do think that those are quite big ones as well and you did kind of touch on it I think it was maybe at the start like stress is definitely a big one too um unfortunately stress will impact your cycle and your hormones a fair bit and I know that there is some stress that's inevitable or things that happen that we can't control um but working on that in some way and there's so many different forms of stress like you might have past trauma or you might have job stress or relationship stress and there's no one way to go about it but I think looking at where your biggest stresses are and how you can manage that is probably also a good a good shout as well so that would probably be like my basic kind of most important things I think 
Yeah. Um, these are these are all things that I speak with my community about as well. When it comes to nutrition, I think like the if it fits your macros approach is just about how you look. It is just about weight loss. And if we're thinking about health, then it's not it's not the way we can't just use that. We have to make sure that we're getting good nutrition in. I think like one of the things I was exactly the same. I thought I ate healthy, and by that. I didn't overeat on calories and mm -hmm. I, I was taking in a, a sufficient amount of protein. But when I look back, I was similar to you, just eating, like living off protein bars and just like you say, trying to get away with as much as possible. Um, and that's one of the things that I try and like the girls who work with me will will hear, try and eat real food. Like most of your food, it's okay. Like if you're yeah. out all day, if you're in work and you need to have, you know, your protein yogurt or your protein shake, do it. But most of your stuff, try and get it from real food. I'm big on people eating um meat. I'm big yeah. on people eating meat and fish. Um, because I do, I do really believe that that does have an, an impact on on your health. You know, we are supposed to eat meat. Um, and then like you said with the lifestyle stuff, I went well in deep with the endocrine disruptors. Like I always was covered in perfume every day. Right. Um, like I always smell of, of perfume and I would get cheap perfumes, you know, from Zara because it was in the gym and I'm wearing them in the gym. I was like, I'm not going to spend hundred pounds. So I'm getting cheap ones, which aren't, you know, great. And that's like, I never wear perfume now unless I'm literally going out. Um, and things like scented, you know, plugins. I used to have plugins all around the house, something that I'm now like, oh my God, get that away. Uh, the heat and stuff I put in plastic. I think a lot of us don't realize how often we do that. If you take Tupperwares to work, if you heat up microwave meals or like packets of rice, you know, all yeah. of this stuff is in plastic and that's easy to change because we do still microwave stuff, but we have glass containers. You can get glass Tupperware. They're yeah. actually nicer to eat out of stuff tastes better. Um, so all those things like really, really good tips that, and the, um, the lifestyle stuff, obviously stress, we know that it makes everything harder when you stress and like when we're never ever gonna escape stress like you said it's always gonna be there but I think a lot of people don't fully know that they can make it better you know by addressing the stress not ignoring it um kind of like trying to work through it things like meditation you know mindfulness mm. it, it, are really big for, for helping with that I know that a couple of my clients um I've got PCOS I'm managing stress it's like being a huge part of that reducing sugar I'm managing mm. stress has been a huge part of that um so all, all amazing, amazing things there that, that you've said. So I know also that you help your clients with improving gut health and and gut health is very closely linked to hormone health. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So um, what should we be looking for in terms of like the signs of gut health issues? And then what are we able to start doing right away that that might help with those things? Mm -hmm. yeah gut health is like it's becoming a lot more mainstream now I think I think more people are talking about it and I was saying this on a webinar yesterday that it the UK is quite behind with like the holistic health kind of stuff in my opinion um like a lot of people don't even know what what a naturopath is over here um whereas in Australia it's like every second person you speak to has been to see a naturopath before so it it's a little bit behind with the holistic health stuff, but I think it's becoming a lot more sort of like talked about and, and understood. The first thing I'll say is if you have IBS, you have a gut health issue because IBS is just a collection of symptoms. It's not a diagnosis. And the problem is that you'll go to the GP, 
you'll say I've got bloating. I don't go to the toilet. I get really, I've got loads of food sensitivities and all they go is, oh yeah, you've got irritable bowel syndrome. And it's like, I could have diagnosed that without a medical degree, like no shit. They've got an irritable bowel because they're literally telling you that that's what their symptoms are. But the medical system, again, I'll like, I'm not bashing it. It's more so just understanding that I think for me, I think it's saying to people, stop putting all your eggs in one basket and start looking at other options because the GP is not there to fix you. Um, the GP isn't a specialist in every single area. The GP is a general practitioner. They're the first point of contact that you go to who will then refer you on to other specialists and for blood work and all that kind of stuff. They're not there to fix your problems. The other thing I think people need to understand is that you go to the GP, you get a 10 minute appointment. It takes me like an hour to talk to someone understand their history, understand their symptoms, and probably another little half an hour on top of that to then go through their bloods and actually put something together. So all in all, I would say it takes me a couple of hours to really actually look at someone and be able to delve into their health issues. You go to the GP for 10 minutes. What are they going to do in that time? They're going to try and give you the quickest solution possible. That's what we have to think about. So if you do go to the GP and like I said before, I don't recommend not going. I'm just saying go, get underlying issues checked out. If you've been ruled out for any more like serious underlying problems and you get told that things are fairly normal and I'll oh, just take the pill or you've got IBS, that's probably a sign that you need to take an alternative approach because you're not going to get further than that. If you do or if you have been diagnosed with IBS and you do have, I'm guessing, symptoms like bloating and problems with digestive um issues and maybe constipation or lack of going to the toilet that would be a massive sign that there's something going on um and in those situations it would probably require further investigation if we look at other gut health symptoms like i guess the biggest thing is that you should be going to the toilet daily a lot of women actually don't mm-hmm. and you probably would find this yourself but it's, it's only really something I guess I've been speaking with clients about in the last couple of years when I delved into this stuff, but I realized like how many people actually don't. And I was like, oh my God, wow, this is actually so much more common than you think. So the, the one thing is that when we go to the toilet, we, that's one of our body's detox pathways. That's literally how your body clears toxins. And it's one of the biggest detox pathways of the body. If you're not going to the toilet daily, your body's not doing that. So that is a problem. So you should be going to the toilet daily. Now, if you're not, there may not be a really quick solution. It may, like I said, require looking at other things. You could potentially look at your diet. Like I know that I've said that just before, but the diet really does play the biggest role in your gut microbiome, your digestive system and how that functions properly chewing your food and breaking it down before swallowing. A lot of people eat distracted, you know, people eat scrolling or watching TV. That's another issue or they'll eat on the run, you know, quickly running to the next meeting. You want to ideally be in an undistracted and arrested state to properly digest food. So I would always look at like, if you do have symptoms like that, look at your habits around eating, both what you're eating and how you're eating. If you're doing that perfectly consistently, and I mean for at least a couple of months with diet and how you're actually consuming food and you still don't see an improvement, then it may require further investigation. 
But even things like um, like some people may need to look at removing gluten, for example. Like that's one of the most inflammatory foods for for people. Not everyone's going to be intolerant to it. And just because you don't have celiac, it doesn't mean that you're not intolerant to gluten. So don't go, oh, well, I've not got celiac. It's like, okay, cool. But you may still actually be intolerant to gluten. Or you'll see a lot of fitness coaches that go, you don't need to remove gluten unless you're a celiac. And it's like, that just tells me that you don't understand nutrition and gut health in in that kind of area. So I think it's it's hard with gut health because it's so individual. If you have symptoms before, you know, when people say, oh, it's okay if you're bloated after eating. And it's like, actually, no, it's not. Like, you should not be super bloated when you've eaten a meal. Like, yes, there's a difference between being a bit full and just not being as lean as you are first thing in the morning, but you shouldn't be like looking pregnant after you've eaten every meal. So that would be a red flag. Not going in to the toilet even mental symptoms like anxiety, depression, brain fog, major fatigue, like that can all be related to gut health issues as well um, because the gut and the brain are directly uh, connected. And if you're sick all the time, like your immune, most of your immune system lives in the gut. So if you're sick all the time, that could be a factor as well. So I guess with the basics, like what can someone do? I'm going to say it like again, but diet, like we need to look at the diet. Like, are you consuming a shit ton of like protein bars, which contain a, a ton of just junk, which will affect your gut? Are you consuming a, a ton of artificial sweeteners? Are you consuming just general, a lot of processed food? Like, are you actually eating like natural and real food as you put it? Um, but then again, even foods like, you know, raw, like kale or uh, legumes can cause some people issues as well. So I think you kind of have to sort of be, do the basics, like how you eat your food and clean up your diet. And then if things aren't better with that, I think then sort of looking at, okay, what other symptoms do I have? Do I have skin issues? Do I have any sort of like mental state issues? Um, what's my fatigue like? What's my sleep like? Um, what foods maybe trigger me more than others? How often am I bloating? How often do I go to the toilet? And then taking it a bit further. Um, so yeah, it's hard because it's, I wouldn't say there's like one supplement or one thing to do. It's more of like a collection of different things. So I don't know if that kind of answers the question or not, but hopefully it's useful. Yeah, it is very useful because what you're basically saying, it's the same for hormones and it's the same as gut health, is that we need to look at everything as a whole and we need to make sure that we're getting the right things in for us. And um, I think I really like what you say. You, you're not putting people off to, to go in the doctors. It's just to be a little bit more of a um, try and explore things a little bit more. So if someone says you've got IBS, okay, they might give you something that might help with the symptoms, but what's the reason? You know, like what, what's actually the cause? And I think, I, I don't know where I heard it, and maybe you've potentially said this, is that like GPs or doctors, they'll treat the symptoms, but not necessarily like find out the cause. Um, And so that's not always helpful. So, you know, like when someone has skin issues and they just put them on the pill, they'll then come off the pill and then the skin issues will come back. And yeah. Um, you know things like going on antibiotics for skin you know it with you stop them eventually that's exactly that's exactly what happened to me like I was on Roaccutane which is like the most intense pill you can get for skin issues which is like the last resort and my skin was great 
when I've come to the end of my course, I came off of it and my skin was like 10 times worse than it was before I even went back on it. And that for me was like, this isn't like, I, I've had enough of just taking whatever pill I get pushed for. Like there's got to be, you know, it's it's funny because you go to the GP or you go to the dermatologist or you go to the gynecologist, but none of them communicate with different parts of the body. The gynecologist won't look into gut health and the dermatologist won't look into gut health, nutrition, hormones. They're just looking at the outside of your skin, which is like your outside of your skin is a reflection of your internal health. So you have to understand, like you said, when like the medical system is made to get you in and out as quick as possible to treat the symptoms so that you get some sort of relief and they don't look at the root cause or how the body's connected as a whole. Um, and I think in my opinion, it's just not relying on that one person to fix us. Yes. Use them at the start to get answers and to get further clarification and rule things out, but be more open-minded that they're not the only people who can help you in those areas is, is I think the best way to view it. Yeah. And take a bit of ownership of your yeah. health. So, you know, if a doctor, I, I know there's, there's been many occasions like with friends where they've had to go back time and time and time and time again before they get what they need. And it's just taking a little bit of ownership and advocate for yourself a little bit when you're at these appointments. And like, if you don't get to where you want to get to explore other areas, I think obviously I know you work with women who um, have things like PCOS and things like endometriosis. And I think that a lot of them are just left to struggle and are not aware of the things that can genuinely help them just ha- you know live a live a, help their symptoms and live a better life and it's stuff like that that mainly I hear about is that they just they just don't do enough and you have to take control of your own health yeah. um that's all amazing thank you so much I think everybody listening will have found um some really bits of valuable information in there and if anything if anyone takes any way anything away from it it's just to to do more like and not just to accept that first kind of thing the amount of people who've said to me oh yeah I've got IBS and so I can't have this and can't have that and like to know that that is actually something that can be helped and potentially healed it's 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 madness how many people are walking around struggling so it's like taking control of your own well-being um so I think that people listening will really want to find out more about you so can you let us know um where we can find you my main um Literally the only thing I'm really on is Instagram. <laughs> so super easy, just Sophie May Fitness on Instagram, all one word. Um, I'm not really on anything else. I do obviously do podcasts and stuff like this as well. Um, but Instagram is probably where I think I post the majority of my information and stuff. So yeah, thank you so much for having me, Haley. You're very welcome. I'll put the link to your Instagram as well in the show notes. And then I'm sure from there, they'll be able to find your podcasts and, and stuff like that, won't they? Amazing. So thank you very much for your time. It's been lovely chatting to you. Thanks, Hayley. Thank you.